Thank you for that, brother. Thank you for sharing that with us. I don't believe in coincidence, of course, but I suspect some of the things that we're going to chat about over the next little while hopefully will resonate with what you've heard. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. I don't know how familiar you may or may not be with this passage. I frequently say it doesn't matter how many times you've read a chapter, a verse, or a book of the Bible, it's always good to read it again. I was saying to some of the young people tonight, I I have a bit of a palsy. It's not always possible to keep it every time, but I try not to preach on a passage until I've read it about a hundred times because there are a lot of things you don't pick up the first 40, 50, or 60, and sometimes it takes a bit longer to get into this head. But uh, Isaiah 55 is a beautiful chapter, and I thought about this chapter when Nick was sharing with us a couple of nights ago a little bit of his testimony, and it fits very much in keeping with what we've just heard. If you have your Bible, please turn to it. If you don't, that's fine. Just listen in. Uh, I want to share a few verses, just seven verses, and uh, show seven things out of those seven verses that I hope will help us tonight understand a little bit more about that beautiful statement that was made that God, when He sent the Lord Jesus to die, He did not die for half dome. Not very many conferences I'm going to hear that exact phrase. (laughs) But He died for you. You know, respectfully... God can make another half dome. He can make another dozen half domes. He can make a billion more half domes. He can't make another one of you. You know that? There's no one who has ever been or ever will be precisely like you. Some of you know in my profession, I, I do a lot of work. I'm a hematologist. I do a lot of work in medicine. I do a lot of work in genetics in particular, trying to understand the genetic basis for cancer, trying to understand how I have two patients that can look exactly the same, same age, same tumor, but vastly different response to treatment. There's got to be something unique about that. We're coming to learn that cancer is not just a generic phenomenon. Cancer is different in every single patient that we see. This whole uh, uh, evolution of of Uh, what we sometimes call personalized or individualized medicine. You know, it underscores to us that there's no one else like you. You know, some people look at God and they think that God is this phenomenon, if he even exists in their minds, who's way distant to us, who has no interest in our own individuality, but sort of looks at us, like some have said, like he's wound up a clock, the earth, and he sort of just left it there to go on its own. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is interested in the individual. I love that. That is a a point that resonates with me and with my heart and has repeatedly over my life. God isn't a, a generic God. When it says that the Lord Jesus died for sinners or died for the world, it's not that he generically died for everyone per se. He died for you. My message tonight is meant to be very specific to you. Let's read this. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsts or thirsteth, come ye to the waters. I thought that was a pretty relevant point. We're pretty warm this week, pretty dry. You're always wanting to come. I even brought some water up here to sort of use as an illustration. But come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy, and eat. Yea, come, Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, 
and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader, a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew, uh, that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and our God, for he will abundantly, abundantly pardon. These are beautiful words. I won't give you all the historical context here in Isaiah, and I've been doing a lot of that this week, so I'll save you from the big background talk tonight. Let's just take these words at face value. This is a pure and simple gospel message. If there's anything I've come to appreciate in studying God's word is that you don't make the gospel complicated because it's simple. It's the only, if you will, religious message on this planet that even the young children here with us tonight can understand. Try to explain to them Buddhism. Try to explain to them the, 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 the inner workings of Hinduism. Try and have them understand what the Prophet Muhammad tried to teach. It's beyond them. Yet the Lord Jesus could literally scold his disciples and tell them, let the little children come unto me. So I'm not going to say anything tonight that's earth-shattering, anything tonight that might be uh, completely new to you. But it's the truth of God. My Bible tells me unequivocally that it'll never return void. Meaning, I do my part as trying to preach the Word of God, to present to you the offer that comes to you, an individual offer from the very God of heaven. And it's your choice to accept it, to reject it. If you're here tonight, and you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, let your heart beat a bit faster tonight and enjoy it. He's not hard to enjoy. Seven things out of this passage. Number one, the call. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. So let me ask you tonight. Are you thirsty? Now, it's been a warm day. Some of us have been hiking or running and moving around. Most of you would consent to the fact that, okay, yes, I'm pretty thirsty, so am I. It's a good opportunity to use my lesson plan here. But let's take it a bit further. Are you thirsty for something more in your life? Steve and I have gone pretty easy on you this week on the whole medical analogy, and I, and I won't bore you too much, but let me tell you that located in your brain with several linking features to various parts of your body, including your carotid arteries, your aorta, and a few other strategic places in your body close to your kidneys, you have what we might call a physiological thirst center. What is that? It is a signaling message that goes through your body that is centered in the brain when you get thirsty. 
So these different parts of the body, especially the arteries and veins of your body that are detecting the blood flow, it detects the rapidity of your flow, it detects uh, how much fluid there is within that compartment. When you start to get thirsty, when you start to get dry, a little dehydrated, you've been hiking up to, to Vernal Falls and it's getting a little bit uh, dry out, you didn't bring enough water with you, your body starts to sense this and it starts to send signals. And that signal, centered in your brain in that thirst center, sends a specific message literally to the back of your throat. That kind of gives you that dry feeling in your mouth that you want to drink. You actually literally have a physical pension to go and find water to drink. And your body is telling you, there's something missing here, we need to get water. Simple. I mean, incredibly complicated in how it works. And we still... Frankly, there's more about medicine we don't understand than we do understand, by the way. We still really don't understand the complexity of that because it's incredible how complicated all of those organs together function. You know, for me, it's amazing to watch how an individual organ functions. I spend a lot of time in my work dealing with the bone marrow and trying to understand how the bone marrow functions. But when you have systems that connect all of these organs together, incredibly complicated. Let me suggest to you beyond your physiological thirst center tonight, that you have a spiritual thirst center. So we're made, as we heard tonight, in the image of God. You're not the product of chance. You're not an accident. We, as a human race, are not an accident. You, as an individual, are not an accident. We heard the story tonight of someone who was literally rejected at his birth. It's not an accident. God is still the active ingredient in the creation of every human being. A man and woman may come together, but God is still the active ingredient to allow that to happen. And so when we're made in his image, he's implanted, if you will, or given to us a spiritual thirst center. What's that? That sense that I want more. Because the reality is tonight, if I'm not going to bring you to a point, and if you can't come to a point by yourself that you realize you're thirsty, you're never going to go for the water. And if you are here tonight and you say, I really don't need God. I'm not thirsty for him. I have no desire for him. Until you come to that point. You'll never be saved. I spent a lot of time trying to explain to people that they're lost so that they can get found. Right. We have that very good denial at being lost. You know, hike's been going on five or six hours. Oh, yeah, I know where we are. I've been here before, honey. Don't worry. I'll get us back there. We're very good at denying that we're lost. And in my occupation in particular, and the people that I work with, we very frequently find people who want to deny. But if you spend time individually with someone, you peel off a few of those veneer layers, and you're honest with your own heart tonight. Do you need more? Are you longing for something? We heard our brother share tonight how he tried this, and he tried that, and he tried all the things he thought might make him happy the end of the day he wasn't happy how many people long for that i used to do a little bit more uh, ministry out on the streets in fact and back when we were in canada in, in the capital in ottawa we used to do the uh, the ladder lettering some of you are familiar with that with a black light and we do a lot of preaching on the street and one of the things you know you'd set up your board and i'd start to uh, to draw a few things on there people thought oh there's an artist in town right but three seconds after i started he's not an artist right um <laughs> I, I like to describe myself as an illustrator. Anyway, 
So sometimes we would just start from scratch. We just start speaking in the crowd and draw things and do the ladder lettering as we go. But sometimes what I like to do is set up the ladder and just put up a question and leave it there for about five minutes before I start. Questions like, who is God? Is God real? So I had a series of questions I'd use. Let me tell you, the one question that I would put up that would inevitably bring more people around was, are you happy? Let me ask you tonight. Are you happy? I don't mean happy, happy. Everything's great today. Beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. My cancer patients teach me every day about that. We get up in Arizona and we bemoan the fact that it's going to be another day of 112 degrees. My patients see the sunrise in the morning and they're thankful that they're still above ground. God help us to be more thankful that way. But when I mean, are you happy? I don't just mean because of your circumstances. Are you in your very core, in your very heart, are you satisfied? We'll see later the, the, the questioner here is asking, why are you going after those things that won't satisfy you? Some of you here in the crowd that know the old hymns. Remember that old hymn? I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but all the waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they mocked me as I wailed. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Is that just a cutesy hymn? Or is that real? I'm not saying that the Lord is here to answer all your problems per se. That, oh, I've got this financial burden. I've got this emotional burden. I've got this psychological burden. I've got all these challenges here, there. They're all connected, yes, in some capacity. But in your very essence, are you thirsty tonight? Are you longing? God has built us with a longing for himself. He's placed eternity in our hearts, one description is of that. A sense that there is something more. That when you look at this and you look at this creation, you think, can this really just be an accident? Was this just some weird explosion of chemicals billions of years ago and somehow it came out like this? Or am I here for a reason? You're thirsty tonight. Let me guarantee you that we can bring you something that will cause you never to thirst. There was a woman one day who was a bit of a social outcast, lots of challenges, that had five husbands, was with a sixth man that wasn't her husband. So we like to say it was time for her to meet the seventh man. And she went out to the well one day and she was trying to get her water and this man asked her for a drink and she said, what are you asking me for? And he said, if, I, if you drink the water that I will give you, you'll never thirst again. And for those of you who have experienced that tonight, it doesn't mean that you become a Christian and your life is perfect. But what it means is that thirst center is quenched. That longing for that real thing in life is filled. And it shocks me when I see people try desperately everything in life to fill that void that God-shaped hole in their heart, and they'll pour everything into it. At the end of the day, they're still thirsty. The call to the thirsty, the charge. What's the charge here? It says, And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So uh, the implication here is you, you've got to come to buy this thing. Right? This is not online shopping anymore, right? Where you can do everything uh, from home, per se. 
there is a charge to come. It's repeated several times, actually, in these seven verses. And if you're going to have your thirst quenched, you need to come. You don't need to come forward here tonight or anything like that. I'm not going to make you do that. But you have to volitionally take a step towards the Lord Jesus. Now, the beauty of it is that in, in quoting those verses from Romans uh, tonight, the, the scripture says, The word is nigh thee, is close to thee, even to thy mouth and to thy heart. It's almost as if the Lord Jesus brings the gospel to you, literally places it in front of your heart and in front of your mouth, and he wants you to envelop it with your heart and speak the words. Believe in thine heart and confess with thy mouth, as we heard beautifully tonight. But there is an active part that critically comes from you. You're not born saved. God doesn't have grandchildren, as we say. You know, you're not born saved. I was marvelously born into a Christian family, and I thank the Lord every day for my parents. I owe them an incalculable debt. But that didn't make me a Christian because my parents are Christian. Come. Part three here, the price. Of course, I can't help but use that word this week with my co-speaker. But the price. What's the price of this? Like, okay, here comes the clicker, right? You want to buy, you want to give me this water that'll cause me never to thirst again? You want me to come to your store to buy it? All right. How much is this going to cost me? It sounds so paradoxical, doesn't it? He that hath no money. Are you kidding me? Imagine opening a store saying, uh, our sale price is zero. You wouldn't be open for very long, would you? But here's the beauty of it. Your money is not good here. Right? He wants you to come, essentially, with nothing. I'll explain what that means in a minute, but... The own, the, the, the own resources that you have can't purchase this. And people think they can pretty well buy anything these days, right? You can buy your health. You can buy your home. You can buy friendship. You can buy love. Let me tell you something right now. You can't buy God. He's not short of money, by the way. I mean, we give money to the Lord and to the Lord's work because we can be co-laborers together with him. But let's remember, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? I mean, he's, he's not short of resources. He made the mines, right? God isn't expecting you to come with your best. You know, if I just put my best on for God, if I just try my best, I'm going to show to God that I can be like this, I can be like that. If I do enough, if I, if I try hard enough, if I bring to him, I can satisfy God. Let me tell you unequivocally, respectfully, you can't satisfy God. Why is that? Everything you touch is tainted. You're inherently broken. I'm sorry. It's not a very pleasant message. But my Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that no matter how hard I try, no matter how many good things I do, I am always going to fall short of God's standard. There are three Hebrew concepts behind sin. One of them is falling short, right? I understand there may be a few basketball fans in California. Right? Sorry. 
Hey, I can't say much about what happened, but you, you, the other team, let's say, uh, might try to shoot a basket, and, and, and you see the ball going, 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 and all of a sudden you have that sort of sinking feeling in your stomach like, that's not even going to make the rim, right? And it goes underneath, and everyone calls, air ball, right? That, that it doesn't, it just falls so short, like, thanks for coming out, right? Back to the bench for you, right? That's the first concept of sin in the Hebrew thought. It's falling short of a standard. God says, this is where the high jump bar is, and thank you for coming out, right? You didn't quite make it. The second concept is that there is a line that you're not supposed to cross, right? There is a lane for the park vehicles only, and there have been some cars that have gone into that lane, have you noticed that? I'm like, what? Anyway, um, there's this, there, there, there occasionally, I, I'm sure this has never happened to anyone in this, in this gathering tonight, but there may be a sign that says 55 miles an hour. And I, I don't know if you know much about this, but there have been people who've gone over that. I mean, I'm just, uh, and, and, and they've crossed the line, as it were, that this is the line and they've crossed it. Sometimes that's translated transgression. The third Hebrew concept is the concept that there is again another line. This time you're not falling short of it or crossing it. This time you're crossing it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You're just doing whatever you want to do. And that word is often translated iniquity. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the I don't care mentality. The in-your-face, I am going to make a mockery of God. I don't care. I don't need anybody's help. I am what I am. I'm going to suggest to you that at least one, if not all three of those concepts, are going to relate to your heart. I'll tell you, I'm really good at all three of them. I'm so thankful that he paid for every one of my sins. So I can't come with my hands full of Scripture says all our, our, our righteousness, the right things we do, the, the best that we have are like filthy rags. It's not going to work. But he says, come, buy without price. Question, uh, the point number four is the question, uh, saying, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Maybe I can ask you that same question tonight. Why are you pouring your resources? Why are you trying so hard? Why are you pouring yourself into things that don't genuinely satisfy? Why are you running away from God? What is it that is keeping you from Him? You could try, as that hymn writer said, I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but all the waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they mocked me as I will. You, you can try and pour yourself into this, pour yourself in that and find yourself still empty at the end of the day. And so here, the writer is saying to us, why, why are you doing this? You're, you're spending all your money, but you're not getting anything for it. Have you come to that point in your life? You're longing for something more and your own devices have failed. God has something for you. Oh, he wants to fill the tank. He wants to quench the thirst. He wants to fill your heart. 
But until you come to the point that you need him, I'm sure Steve faces this all the time in the emergency department. You know, some of the some of the, the diseases we treat are defined by denial. One of the things that is a classic feature of something have, someone having a heart attack is literally denial. Like, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm okay. A little indigestion. I had a little extra pulled chicken at dinner. I'm okay. It was great chicken. It was delicious. <laughs> uh, wow. That is so not awkward. But um, that was, uh, whew, yeah. And, uh, and, and we just deny it. Sometimes half our work in the gospel is to bring someone to the point that they're an unbeliever to become a believer. My Bible says that you can be saved tonight. As I said before, you're not going to get saved until you realize you're lost. Not that I'm putting a ban on it, but you know, the, the word unsaved doesn't exist in the Scripture. It's something we've added later. It's not a bad word to use per se, but it softens the blow. It's lost. And if you've ever really been lost, it's a terror, terrorizing feeling, isn't it? It's a hopeless feeling. Until someone realizes they're lost, they're not going to be found. And so the Lord is asking you, have you, have you run out of gas yet? Okay. So you still have gas in the tank and you still think you can get there and you still think you do it yourself? He's not going to force himself on you. That's the beauty of my God. My God doesn't come to me and say, you're going to love me and you're going to like it. Right? Do you want that kind of God? Do you want that kind of love together? As I, I've often said, you know, I didn't come to Heather when, when a lot of people have been asking this week uh, when we, where we met and how we came together. And uh, we get to tell the romantic story. Even our daughter's like, oh, do we have to hear this again? It's a bit nauseating for them. And, um, but you know, the story does not go that I came up to Heather one day and said, you know, you are going to love me and you are going to like it. Can you imagine? Yeah, it wouldn't have happened. Thanks for coming out. Not going to happen. God's, God's gonna, not going to do the same thing with you. you think God's going to force himself on you and say, you're going to believe in me. Some people have that view of God, that he's sort of this, this iron-fisted God who just breaks things and destroys things and steps into your life and says, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. That's not the kind of king that we have. We were talking a lot about kings this week. That was kind of Saul's way. Saul's way was, I'm your king now, and he scared people into trusting him. They had to. By contrast, David. How did David become king? They fell in love with David. The paradox, the irony, is it started with Saul's family. Saul's daughter, Saul's son. They all befriended and fell in love with David. I mean, if you can't see the irony in that, you're missing something. The Lord is like that. He wants to come to you tonight like David. You fall in love with him. It's not hard to put him on the throne of your life. Point number five, the offer. What is the offer here? Verse three, incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live. You know, this is a, a contract with the Lord that starts with listening. How shall they hear without a preacher? The word of God comes in through our ears. We listen to it. We hear it like we're hearing it tonight. And as he says, 
uh, hearken diligently to me, eat that which is good, let your soul del delight in fatness, incline your ear, come unto me, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. He's brought that word to you tonight. He's literally brought it through your ears, right to your mouth and heart. Now notice a few features about this word that he's brought to you. Uh, number one, it's time dependent. Seek the Lord while he may be found. I'm not trying to be all negative with you or, or, or depressing. But who's the next person in this area here tonight who's going to die? One of us is going to die. We don't know if it's going to be in an hour from now or a year from now or 10 years from now. Again, I'm not trying to be morbid, but I tell people every day they're going to die. Just before coming to dinner tonight, my colleague sent me a note from back in, uh, in Phoenix that one of my dearest patients is going to hospice tonight. will probably not live till the weekend. And he's in his 50s. I mean, you never know when it's your time. And again, I don't really believe in, in scare tactics. I think of Moody when he was preaching and how he was always careful. And he used to say that he was always very cautious not to push people too hard. And then there was the night of the Chicago fire. And he felt after that he had to compel people. Most of you probably haven't been on Internet today and haven't had the chance to hear about the tragedy in France today. You know, France... Today, the whole country of France celebrates my birthday, just in case you wanted to know that. But um, today is, uh, the, is Bastille Day in France. And remember, for those of you who speak French, Allons enfants de la patrie, la patrie, le jour de gloire est arrivé. Today was the day. So they had uh, all over the country. As you may know, there was a big soccer tournament in France over these last few weeks, and there was a big threat for, a cancer, for a, a, some kind of terrorist activity, and, and thank the Lord nothing happened. But today in Nice, one of the most uh, beautiful uh, cities in, in France, a city that historically people go to on Bastille Day because July is the month where most French people take the month off. They like taking a month off for the summer. And they had had a celebration just like we would have on July the 4th or for the Canadians, July 1st, eh? Oh, yeah. And, um, and they had fireworks in the city of Nice. And it was an extraordinary extravaganza of... Uh, of the French nationals enjoying their day off. And the crowd had just finished watching the fireworks and they were walking into the street and this man driving a large semi truck just plowed through and killed, well, it appears now to at least be 75 people, if not more. Hundreds other injured. Uh, thankfully, the French police were able to, I think, eliminate the, the driver before the explosives and the grades and so on that he had in the truck were exploded but it, i don't want to get sensational about it but the reality is you never know this was in a in a place that it wasn't expected this was at a time that wasn't expected the time of greatest celebration i'm sure most of you saw some kind of fireworks uh, last week or 10 days ago on july 4th and and you enjoy that together and instantly 77 people ushered into eternity so I don't say it as a scare tactic, but I say it as a reality check. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because your time may come before you know it. 
The other point about his seeking or about this response, on several of occasions, it, it's listed here, this, even the sure mercies of David, that he, will, that, that he will show mercy to us. What is mercy? Mercy is something you can't earn or that you deserve. You don't come saying, I deserve this, you know. I belong with you, God. You want me on your team because I am so good and I'm going to be so good for you. No. You come without money, without price. You come empty-handed. But how does that happen? Well, look at point number six, the challenge of verse seven. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. What does that word return mean? It literally means make a U-turn to come back to God. And it's prefaced by the wicked forsaking his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. The essence here is what the Bible calls repentance. And this is a word that's gotten a lot of confusion over the years in the church. But what is the essence of repentance? The essence of repentance is saying, you know, God, you are right. I agree with you that my sin is keeping me from you and I'm taking ownership of it. That when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't just die for the generic sins of the world. He died for the sins of me. I spoke to the young people on Monday night about this principle of how serious sin is. How many sins did it take to forever ravage this universe? One sin. Imagine the the billions of universes this crowd could take care of with each of our sins. But of course, he carried every single one of them. But until you take ownership of that, until you confess that, it's not that you so-called feel sorry for your sins, although we, I think we understand that concept. It's more of an ownership taking and saying, yes, I am the guilty party. And then that magical, if you will, transfer can happen. Where just like the priests in the Old Testament would come and they would put their hand on the head of the animal that was sacrificed, it was a, a virtual transfer of sin saying, I know that I'm sinful. I know that I deserve to be killed and to be, to be punished today, but I'm transferring that to this poor innocent animal and the animal is sacrificed. It was to demonstrate the severity of sin. It was kind of a gross thing. There were a lot of animals slaughtered in the Old Testament. There was a lot of blood that flowed. But it was to demonstrate to us the significance of sin and the severity of it. And until you take ownership of that falling short, crossing the line, going back and forth and back and forth across the line, you'll never get saved. Taking ownership of that sin is critical. And lastly, what's point number seven here? The promise. We've had the call, the charge, the price, the question, the offer, the challenge, and now the promise. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God's not in the half saving or the half forgiving business. You ever had that kind of situation where you sort of half forgive someone? Okay, I'm really sorry I did this to you, Steve. I really, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. And you're like, yeah, okay, fine. No, you sort of just, you, you, you pat it over, but you know it's not truly forgiven. My God is true to me when he says he's forgiven me. You know that? My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. He will 
abundantly pardon you. Doesn't mean your life becomes perfect. Doesn't mean that everything goes great thereafter. Doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges again. Doesn't mean we're not going to sin again. We're built that way until we're to be made perfect one day. We're still inherently flawed, but it is an absolute turnaround. Now you have a drive to be like him as opposed to a drive to sin. Now you had a motivation to him as opposed to a motivation to self. It is a cataclysmic turnaround in your life. For those of you here tonight and you've experienced that, God bless you. Enjoy it. As I said before, let your heart beat a bit faster. Soak it in. If you're here tonight and you don't really know what that means, you don't fully appreciate it, talk to me. Please, talk to someone here. We're not trying to draw people to ourselves or to a group or to a church or to a cause. We're here to point you to the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be here tonight. We're thankful that we have a message to preach. That it comes directly from the Word of God. Father, we're thankful that so many of us here tonight came so desperately thirsty. And our, and our thirst has been quenched by the beautiful waters of the Lord Jesus. Father, we're thankful for Him tonight. It's really all about Him. Help us to be guideposts and signposts to Him. Help us do everything we can to simply magnify Him, knowing, as He reminded us, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. Draw people tonight, Father. Maybe there is someone here tonight. They're not sure. They're not clear. They're still struggling. It's still unclear to them. Father, don't let them sleep tonight until they've clarified this, until they've come repentantly to the one and the only one who can save. Bless us tonight, Father. Encourage us. Give us all a good night's sleep, we pray, and bring us back in safety tomorrow in our Savior's name. Amen.